Thank you again, friends, for downloading Hot Mike with Houston and Hogan. Today on the show, we cover a lot of topics like our first bloopers on the radio, the death of a couple of bluegrass legends, and the beginnings of recordings. Thanks for tuning in, and let's get started with Hot Mike with Houston and Hogan. Many thanks, friends, for joining Dave Hogan and Randy Houston on the Hot Mike with Houston and Hogan podcast. We're having a good time doing this podcast series, and we appreciate every one of you uh, downloading. We've uh, steadily grown in our download numbers, and as long as y'all keep tuning in, we'll keep telling old radio stories how you doing dave doing fine got to be careful around a hot mic and be careful what you say around a hot mic i found that out a long time ago what was the first blooper the first boo-boo you made now don't tell me you didn't make any the first boo-boo you made on the radio i left um a mic hot (laughs) i left a mic on and i talked and uh, i i don't remember evidently i didn't say anything that was too bad but i was talking behind a record and that meant i'd left my mic hot (laughs) and i don't think i've ever done that since because once you realize oh my god what did i just do and you can't recall what you just said and your face turns red and you're sitting in a room by yourself and you learn a valuable lesson don't do that again (laughs) (laughs) i was showing margo my wife the other day uh something I, i read in a magazine and and it was about radio and she came across the uh term ttp and she says what does ttp stand for it was an ad for uh, a radio station was looking for uh, an announcer. And they didn't want somebody who, who, who could just turn a TTP. She says, what's a TTP? And I had to think just a second before I realized it's turntable pot. Now, why did we call it a pot? That knob that you turn up to... to well, I have the answer for you. Okay. Pot is short for potentiometer. That's what? the potentiometer. That's what that that's what a pot is called. A potentiometer. Potentiometer. And short for that is pot. We turn that pot up, turn that pot down, turn that pot off, turn that, you know, potentiometer. So that radio station is looking for somebody. Uh, more than just a, a TTP operator, a turntable pot operator. Right. Board op. Yeah, <laughs> board op. We yeah. want a personality. Yeah. We don't want someone yeah. just to push the switches. You know, I never, as you know, because we worked together for years, but I, I didn't never, I never uh, adopted, uh, adapted or adopted uh, the technology part of radio very much. And I'll tell you why. When I was working in Murphy, little town of Murphy, North Carolina, and I guess my uh, latter part of the my first year in radio, Paul Ridenour was the general manager. Jimmy Childress on the station. You remember Jim? Yes, yes. The late Jimmy Childress built a lot of radio stations in yeah, small towns. Right. And 
once in a while, the speaker in the radio station would have static on it. You could hear this static. And the engineer would come in and he would raise the hood on the console (laughs) and he'd fiddle around with the tubes, which is what we had at that time. Yeah. Until he got the one that was causing the problem. But he wasn't around. His name was Jimmy Faust. Jimmy wasn't around at the time. And and it was driving me crazy, that static on the speaker in the studio. Yeah. I mean, I wanted to hear my music. And that static was interfering. So I raised the hood, just like you'd raise a hood on a car, to that console. And I started fiddling with those tubes. While it was live on the air. Yeah. And, yeah, yeah. and Paul right now, the general manager, just happened to walk by. <laughs> he chewed me out. He said, don't you ever. <laughs> now, I'm 16, 17 years old and trembling when he's talked to me. Yeah. I thought he was going to fire me. He said, don't you ever, ever do that again. He said, you call Jimmy Faust if you've got a problem with the uh, technology. So that scared me off from bothering. I'd always call the engineer. I'm not touching it. No, siree. I'm not going to touch it. Well, you're showing your wisdom there because uh, (laughs) it's a lot easier just to place a phone call than to try to fix it. So, uh, yeah, you you spent a cold career with that attitude, and I I admire you for it. (laughs) You were smart. Randy, since we talked last, we've lost two prominent members of our music community, both in bluegrass, uh, Jesse McReynolds and uh, Bobby Osborne. Jim and Jesse and the Virginia Boys, as they were called, and uh, Sonny and Bobby the Osborne Brothers. Now, Jim McReynolds, uh, the last name of Jim and Jesse was McReynolds. They were born up in Coburn, Virginia. And Bill Anderson, when we had Whispering Bill on one of our podcasts, we were talking about the uh, oldest member active on the Grand Ole Opry. And it was, he, he mentioned that it was Jesse McReynolds of Jim and Jesse. And we were talking about the fact that Bill is the oldest act, continuous act on the Opry, performer. But in years, he mentioned the fact that Jesse McReynolds of Jim and Jesse was uh, the oldest. And, and, And Jesse has now died. He died at the age of 93 on uh, June the 23rd, uh, not too long ago. And now, uh, Buck White of the Whites is the oldest uh, performer on the, on the Opry and Jim and Jesse, they had, uh, a couple of songs that listeners would probably know if they heard, they would recognize diesel on my tail. Yeah. I remember diesel on my tail. Yeah. And, uh, they also had a, a revival of an old Leuven Brothers song called When I Stop Dreaming. And, you know, you just can't beat that harmony. From brothers. From brothers or yeah. assist family harmony. Yeah. And so, uh, and, and mandolin. He was a great mandolin player. Uh, Jesse was. And he, uh, as I said, died on June the 23rd at the age of 93. Now, a few days later, on June the 27th, another great mandolin player, Bobby Osborne of the Osborne Brothers, died. 
and Bobby was 91, and he was born in Thousand Sticks, Kentucky. <laughs> have you ever been to Thousand Sticks, Kentucky? No, I can't say I have. <laughs> <laughs> Thousand Sticks is a little unincorporated community near Hyden in, uh, in, in Kentucky. But the Osbournes, uh, the family moved when they were just boys to uh, Ohio, and that's where they grew up. Now, the Osborne brothers uh, are famous for several songs. One, Rocky Top. Yeah. Uh, recorded by Felice and Bo- uh, or written by Felice and Boodle O'Brien and is one of the state songs of the state of Tennessee and the anthem of the Tennessee Volunteers sports teams, Rocky Top. You know, I read. You have to be careful when you're doing research. Uh, to, to, to if you're doing something of a serious nature, to double check things. And I read the other day that "Rocky Top" was a song that was written about a little town in Tennessee called Rocky Top, Tennessee. And that's not true. That's false. It's the other way around. A town in Tennessee was named after the song. Oh. Lake City, Tennessee, located on Norris Lake. You know, my late friend uh, Wheeler Disney, you met Wheeler. He was from Lake City. And Lake City changed the name of the town to Rocky, Rocky Top. Well, I'll be. And not too long ago, I stopped in Rocky Top on a, on a trip I was making over to uh, Nashville. And another uh, distinction that the Osmond brothers uh, had, one of the state songs of Kentucky was sung by the Osmond brothers, the song titled Kentucky. Not Blue Moon of Kentucky by Bill Monroe, but the song called Kentucky. And if you want to hear some wonderful brother harmony, Google the Osmond Brothers, and the song Kentucky, and listen to it. And it's one of the state songs of the state of Kentucky. Uh, one of their big hits was Ruby, Honey, Are You Mad at Your Man? Ruby. And they also had a hit called Tennessee Hound Dog. Yeah. And one called Roll Muddy River. Now, back to the town of Rocky Top, Tennessee, formerly Lake City, Tennessee, and before it was Lake City, it was called Coal Creek, Tennessee. And have you ever heard of the Battle of Coal Creek? I think I have heard of it. I don't know. Look that up sometime. It's really interesting. Uh, it was a the, the state of Tennessee, and I guess a lot of states, I know North Carolina did too, they rented out convict labor. Yeah. Uh, in uh, the area we live in, in western North Carolina, the Swannanoa, a railroad was built to a great extent by convict labor. The state would lease out uh, convict labor. And so the, the company that owned the coal mine there in Coal Creek, Tennessee, leased, laid off a bunch of their employees and, and leased convicts. And so it turned into a, a, a quite a war. 
And it's interesting reading if you like uh, history. But we salute and remember Jim and Jesse, Jesse McReynolds, who died on June 23rd, and uh, Bobby Osborne of the Osborne Brothers, Sonny and Bobby. Bobby died on the 27th of June. Jesse was 93. Bobby was 91. Both, as I said, great uh, mandolin players. Yeah, yeah. Well, we, uh, we're going to talk today uh, in the few minutes that we have left about uh, uh, the evolution of recording music mm-hmm. and uh, where it all started and, and where it wound up and where and it is today. And then we're going to devote the next podcast to jukeboxes and the role that jukeboxes played in the, uh, the music world. So let's talk a little bit about uh, the old uh, Thomas Edison phonograph. phonograph right up to the digital age. Talk about that a little bit. We yeah. went through a period there, I guess, for 20 years or so of 78 RPM records. Well, vinyl, recording on vinyl, it was uh, a technology that was in the radio industry when you and I started in the business. And, and that's one of the first successful ways of recording broadcasting or music or anything. It worked. Uh, there were no tape recorders. The earliest tape recorders were using a, a piece of wire they're called wire recorders. Mm-hmm. Uh, I remember wire recorders. But that's why there was so much live radio back in the day that all the radio stations had an orchestra room and a, a live studio because there was nothing recorded for for play. You had to keep a live show going. I remember when I went to work for Zeb Lee at WSKY on Church Street in Asheville, uh, they still had a piano in the right. what we call the big studio, which at that time was not even used. But back in the day, that was of live radio. That was your lifeblood. Yeah, that's when religious all, services as well as bands would come in. Bands and uh, uh, on WWNC, uh, where I work, still some. Uh, you know, back in the day, well, that's that's who brought in the Bill Monroes and the Jimmy Rogers mm-hmm. and. They were coming to be heard, and they played live on the radio, and we welcomed them with open arms because we didn't have anything in the can. We didn't have anything recorded. So uh, the vinyl, the cutting of a vinyl acetate in the radio station, uh, that sort of got the recording industry started. It really did. Those artists, those bands playing on the radio in those days, weren't paid very much. But that's how they got their show dates. Exactly. If Bill Monroe and the Bluegrass Boys were on WWNC, which had a good strong signal, they would get show dates. All around here. At uh, schoolhouses and fundraisers of all sorts, and that's how they made their living. Yeah. And then, of course, the Opry uh, was a springboard for so many uh, country music stars in, in the early days of uh, radio and the beginning of the Grand Ole Opry in Nashville. That's how artists 
That's why they wanted to be on WSM, a huge radio station, 50,000 watts that covered much of the United States, the eastern part of the United States. And so they'd get their their show dates as a result of people hearing them on the the Grand Ole Opry. Because the Grand Ole Opry only paid uh, scale, whatever union scale was. Right. And at one time, the Grand Ole Opry required the artists to be on stage for seemed to me like it was 30 weeks or rather uh rather lengthy commitment yeah and uh, you know the guys would book a show a friday night in augusta georgia and and drive like the dickens to get to nashville by showtime for the saturday night grand Ole opera the opera had to change that because uh when a a band uh, an act a singer got popular they could make far more money playing a show date on saturday night than Than being on the grand Ole opry so they would gradually drop off the opry and it forced the opry to change the requirements i'm not sure what they are now yeah but uh you don't have to be on the opry about half the year like you used to now back to the acetates and the vinyl well, that, uh, of course, vinyl and, and the advent of the 78s and, and, uh, and from the 78s, we, we came up with the 33 and a third album, mm-hmm. the 33 and a third full album that, uh, spawned so much beautiful artwork album covers, yeah. uh, are to me, uh, oh, what memories they all hold. Yeah album covers and uh 45s and and that's where we jump into the jukebox world well 45s came out in 1949 they had uh 78 rpm jukeboxes but they could only put a limited number of uh records on a jukebox when the jukeboxes played 78 rpm records because they were so large heavy and when yeah when the 45 rpm came out they went from like 25 records on the jukebox to a hundred. Yeah. So yeah. that really launched uh, the jukebox. World. Yeah. But in our industry of radio, uh, recording, uh, the vinyl starting of recording on vinyl was a big, uh, big jump. And then, uh, tape recorders, uh, became cassette players and eight tracks. Reel to reel started reel the whole reel, thing. Yeah. Yeah. When I was, uh, in, in the big studio at, at 570 back in the 80s there was a bank of six mm-hmm. reel-to-reel recorders uh three above and three below uh, ampex reel-to-reel yeah, if you had an ampex yeah that was high dollar they were it was i was real proud to work in that studio because there were six there was a wall of tape recorders mm-hmm. shiny chrome and mm-hmm. fast speeds you uh load up an hour pro 30 minute program and zip like that it's rewound it was uh and and had stereo quality and uh and then from the the reel to reel two track recorders that we worked with in the studios uh Les Paul's invention or discovery of the multi-track recording came into play. Uh, and that opened up a whole other world 
of being able to lay in sounds and music beds and voice tracks in different tracks and then mix them all together to one cassette recorders came along in those days uh i don't know if you ever worked in a station dave like this but uh one of the things that the cassette recorder brought about was the very close monitoring of a dj a cassette recorder was placed on record less the input was what was coming off of the microphone the main control room microphone was fed into this cassette recorder it was placed on pause there was a relay every time you turned that control room microphone on the cassette recorder popped off of pause and started recording and when you turned the microphone off it went back to pause and that went on for your whole four-hour shift at the end of that shift you'd take that cassette into the program director and be critiqued <laughs> well i was fortunate because i i know that uh tech, that that existed in a lot of radio stations but somehow i dodged you dodged that, that good for you yeah, i just turned you. that thing off i wouldn't uh, <laughs> oh it malfunctioned yeah i got you I, but there but then we we went to compact discs from in the there. early 90s yeah mm-hmm. yeah 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 i remember playing my first compact disc on the radio it was yeah. quite a revolution well, let's uh, wrap up this part of our uh, reminiscing and uh, come back uh, on our next podcast. Real quick, what happened to compact disc? What happened to CDs? Well, they all got replaced by a computer file. That's right. A computer file. A lot of cars don't even, the newer vehicles don't yeah. have CD players anymore. My truck doesn't. Jukeboxes next time. Put another nickel in. (laughs) Thank you, Dave. Uh, Thank you all for joining us on Hot Mike with Houston and Hogan. Be sure to click the subscribe button for another episode of Hot Mike with Randy Houston and Dave Hogan.